uh, you'd, you'd meet face to face. And yeah, it was interesting. You know, when, when I did the first book, The Signs of Happily Ever After on, on the dating, I started writing that, I think, in 2011, maybe 2012. And, you know, and the, the crazy thing was that like app dating wasn't even a thing like match and eHarmony were starting to be a thing, mm -hmm. but there was still that kind of uh, almost stigma <laughs> against it. We're like, oh, yeah, we met we met online or whatever, <laughs> uh, which is wild to me because it's like 10 years ago. Right. And then when we did the update uh, last year uh, on that book, all of a sudden it was like, wow, you know, it's app dating is now just <laughs> everywhere. And it's also actually supplied a lot of great data uh, for oh, yeah, understanding romantic relationships and people's preferences and, and decisions. So from your educated opinion, as well as maybe your personal opinion, um, would you say that it maybe has helped dating or hurt it or maybe a little bit of both? Because I guess with every good, there comes some downsides. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm conflicted, to tell you the truth. So I, I try to explain this in a way that's somewhat clear, but. I have these contradictory thoughts, I guess, and opinions in, in my head. So um, I, I think there's nothing wrong with online dating. And I think from the perspective of growing your opportunity or your dating pool, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, right? Uh, compared to how most of human history has gone where, uh, you know, the, my mom grew up in some small town. She went to, I think her senior class was like 12 students, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and she describes like, the conundrum of finding a prom date and, and that kind of thing. It's like, but that was most of human history. Things were like that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so now we just have like hundreds or thousands of, of options. So I, I think in that way, it's great. Um, I think if someone is, you know, and if, if someone has preferences in dating that are not typical, then it can be great, you know? Um, and so, so I've certainly supported it in that way. Now here's, here's the part where I get a little conflicted though. Um, so one of the uh, kind of robust models they use to predict commitment um, in psychological research is called social exchange theory. And it's actually the same algorithm or the same model that they're using over in the econ department or business school to predict oh, wow. when people will buy and sell their house or their stock <laughs> or whatever else. And it's just really three, it gets more complicated, but it's kind of three core elements. It's what do you want, you know, what are your expectations? What do you think you're getting out of the current investment or the current partner? And what are your, what they call attractive alternative options? So would there be other investments or other people mm. that you think would meet your needs better? And you can kind of easily imagine between these three variables, how that would predict commitment. Now, what online dating has done is it has exponentially increased people's perceived attractive alternative options. Yep. So, Most you know, our really. minds aren't really ready to handle that kind of calculus. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the stuff you're hearing from Gen Z, for example, is that it's really hard to find a committed relationship for someone who's who's up for that. And um, I think with the online dating and you, you think about that algorithm and those three variables, it's easier to understand how that would be the case, because people are always thinking like, you know, the grass could be greener somewhere else. Yep. Mm hmm. And that's interesting because with Tinder, I don't know all of them. I think most of them are around the same amount, but they get about 100 or so swipes or matches a day. So that's the minimum. And I know you can buy packages where you get unlimited. So you can only imagine if you swipe, let's just say on minimum 500 people a day, you match with, say, I don't know the numbers, but maybe 10%. That's 50 people. 
that, that, like you said, we come from a time period where we had villages or towns of 500 to 1,000 people. You're, you're exponentially expanding that and what they call it, the curse of choice or illusion of choice, where the more options you have, the less likely you're going to make a decision. So, and I, I've used this term, I, I think I mentioned to you before, there's no more saber-toothed tigers. And it's like our brain, like you said, hasn't caught up with the, the adaptations that we're exposed to now. And it, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm curious to see what it looks like in another 20 years or so. Exactly. You know, like I, I can barely, <laughs> I can barely handle the complexity of one relationship, <laughs> much less, you know, juggling a bunch of different ones or trying, trying to figure out among say 50 different options. And uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's that tyranny of freedom or tyranny of choice that you talked about. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, as they say in, in that research, it's the same thing, like going into Target, trying to find a dish detergent or a, mm. a, uh, a laundry detergent. You're just like so overwhelmed with just too many options and it can be kind of paralyzing when, when that happens. So, yeah, I do think that applies to some of the dating difficulties that we're having, like kind of on a broader societal scale. Well, running with that target analogy, I like that. I actually used to work there a while back as a stalker, and I actually have stock detergents. So going with that analogy, we usually make choices sometimes off of frivolous decisions. So going back to the, the detergents, some may have better stain power or some may last longer, or re- fresher colors. But going to the dating, comparing it, do you think we may make decisions based off of some frivolous things? I, I guess I want to segue into this. And it's one of my favorite things you've, you've done is the three wish thing. And you talk about height and other factors like how we make these decisions that may be arbitrary that don't really lead to actual relationship success. Yeah. So why don't we set up the kind of three wishes thing first and then mm-hmm. we can go to uh, some of the frivolity <laughs> we exhibit during partner selection. But um, yeah, so let's imagine like you have a fairy godmother and, you know, she shows up, she says, hey, Nick, I'm going to give you three wishes for your ideal <laughs> romantic partner. Well, you know, great, that, that's, that's fantastic. But as these fables go, you wanna use those wishes wisely, right? So I, I give this example, let's say uh, there's, there's someone, uh, there's a woman who's selecting among 100 eligible bachelors, kind of a bachelor type situation, right? And these gentlemen have been selected randomly from general population, and she gets to choose among these hundred folks, you know, who she wants to go out with. Well, let's say she says, all right, um, I'm gonna use my three wishes and I want someone who's tall. And let's say to her, that means someone who is six foot or taller. Well, about 80 of those guys would walk out of the room at that point, (laughs) they get cut, right? Because only about 20% of men are six foot or taller in the United States. Whoa, okay, so that's, that's a big drain, right? Um, now let's say she goes to her, her second wish. Let's say she says, I want someone who's hot. And to her, that means someone who's an eight out of 10 or 80th percentile <laughs> or better. Right. And so what would happen is, you know, about another 16 of the remaining 20 would walk out of the room. So just with two wishes, she's gone from 100 possibilities for partners, you know, down to four and with almost any other wish she makes she's going to be left with one guy or a fraction of a guy, right? And so it's unbelievable. And, and people can do this with, with their wishes. And we would do this in class all the time. I'd have students write down what do you want. They'd write down, you know, 15, 20, 25 things they want in a partner. And that's, oh, that's wow. fine. I say, hey, yeah, go big, dream big. Um, 
but then you know i'd have people volunteer if they were okay with me having go through their list and we would just see how they how their three wishes would quickly take them down to one person or a fraction of a person so the, the, the one of the main things people can do to improve their dating life <laughs> and it's i don't want people to settle uh, well, what I want people to do is I want them to get the traits and characteristics in a partner that are actually the most important to them. That's what I want. And so make a big list. But then what I would say is now be, you know, really thoughtful about rank ordering the things you want in a partner, the wishes you have for a partner uh, from, let's say, one to 10 or even one to 20 and really emphasize those first three and, and be like, hey, what would, what would be the three non-negotiable things that I absolutely need in a partner. And when people give it that kind of thought, you know, I, I think we all have the wisdom within us to actually, you know, think about, okay, these are the things that are actually going to matter in the long run. When folks do that, they make much better decisions. So, um, that, you know, that's the three wishes, uh, you know, and then I, where, where that took me to next then was to think about, well, how do people actually spend their wishes? Is there data about that? And, and there certainly is. Uh, one of my you know favorite studies uh that we did for the the updated version that just came out from some of the online dating stuff was a, a study of hinge users and i think it was over ten thousand, wow. you know hinge users and they wanted to see a number of things but one of the most interesting things they found was how long do people spend on a profile before they swipe on it and um as you can imagine the results were a little disheartening <laughs> like three seconds yeah a little bit less yeah so, so. less oh i thought i was being uh, conservative <laughs> yeah 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 no but you know two seconds people would look at it and then they'd swipe right or left and you know one of the things that happens with online dating that i don't think folks always realize is that we can get careless because there's so many possibilities right but when you when you swipe left that's that's a hard rule out that that means not only have you lost that person for whatever characteristics you were deciding upon, which is probably just the profile picture, yeah. right? Um, you know, what I see happening is, well, maybe you're losing someone with great character, moral character. You know, maybe you're losing someone with an unbelievable personality or, or unbelievable talents, you know? All that's going out the window when when you make those decisions with online dating or if you're setting filter preferences ahead of time, you know, folks want to think through like this isn't just a preference. This is actually a hard rule out that I'm doing when, when I when I set these filters. So, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying that people shouldn't go for someone who's attractive or it's not OK to go for some of these a little more frivolous kinds of things. But, uh, you know, dating should be fun. But at the same time. You don't want to let those, you know, kind of careless decisions get in the way of you getting what's actually really important to you. Well, I guess that kind of goes into, and you've talked about this in your books, is like, what is the outcome of what are you trying to do with these people? Like, we've segued into, or I guess, not even 100 years ago, let's just go 40, 50 years ago, the tent of marriage or dating was typically marriage. Now it's kind of like, I've, there's new terms I'm sure you heard of, like situationship and things like that. And I think it's like, since we have these more options now, we don't even look, say, hey, I want to date him or her because I want to marry them eventually. It's because it's something to do. And like you said, it might look good or it might be fun. And I know you talk about novelty seeking that, that that's something I personally, I think I've experienced because I'm very introverted. So it's like, I'm not necessarily afraid to go out and have fun, but it's like, it's not necessarily the first thing. And I've noticed that 
that's been more, I guess, in the last few years, a big thing for people getting out and doing stuff, you know? So it's like, if you're not, what they call it, the spark, if you're not going to spark their attention or spark that, whatever the butterflies, it might be a deterrent and that might be the best guy or girl for you. But that one or two dates, it just didn't do it for you. And now we have all this choice now. So they know, hey, I got 20 other people in my messages to try out next. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, so there's, there's the fallback. And then you see those perceived attractive alternative options, right? Influencing people's decision-making behavior or their willingness to try to maybe give someone a second chance, like on a, you know, like a second date or something like that, or letting something slowly develop. I, I've, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase, <laughs> you know, there's rarely mentioned uh, when I hear people's dating stories. So yeah, there's, you know, two things you point out that I think are really great. And, you know, the first one was just that, well, what is the end point, you know, that, that people want, and it used to be pretty narrow. Uh, well, you wanted to get married, you want to get married by a certain age. Now, I don't know that that's, we want to go back to that necessarily, because that didn't always work for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, like, you know, all of a sudden, it's not unusual to hear folks like all of a sudden they're 40 and they're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like, how'd I get here? And maybe they wanted to settle down, but they were just, you know, they weren't focused on actually what they wanted out of their relationship life. And I'm fine with people doing whatever they want. Someone wants to be single. Mm -hmm. Hey, great. You know, if that's what's going to make you happy. But, you know, once again, I think people just want to take some time to sit down and be thoughtful about it and be like, hey, what, you know, what is it the, what's the end point I'm really shooting for here? And given that end point, now how can I work backwards and make some wise decisions about how to, about how to get there? And, you know, once again, I think the good news is, is people have that wisdom within them. They just need to harness it and, and kind of, kind of, kind of focus it. And that's why I like your work, because in my field, if you go into what I do, especially if it's with my sport teams or even my tactical, it's, it's kind of the same approach. Like, I'm not necessarily going to make them a better fighter or a better police or a businessman, whatever population I work with. My goal is to educate them. Like you said, if they know better, they can sit on it. And it's like, OK, if I know how to process information under pressure or I know these different cognitive biases, I'm big on teaching my athletes or my clients cognitive biases because a lot of people make bad mistakes, not just because they're not good under pressure is because they don't even realize how their thoughts are processed. So I'm big on mitigating the risk with my clients. So it's like, okay, if you know what's going to happen, then at least we may not be able to stop it, but we at least know which way we're going. And to segue into why I asked you before we did this about um, the red pill space or fresh and fit particularly is, is not more so to go into like their content specifically. I don't know if you checked out any contents because they have a lot of viral clips that might come off unbecoming. But the reason I brought it up, because they do do something that I saw a parallel with some of your work and they called it uh, for the sake of what it is, the delusional calculator. And it kind of takes the concept of the three wishes in a sense, but it just takes literal data from the uh, U.S. Census, as well as the Department of Labor. And I guess a few other factors that is from the government. And they put in all the girls that they ask this question, what they want. And it gives the ex exact percentage based on the census. So the last one was three years ago. So fairly recent. So they look at it and say, okay, it's 0.005. Or they'll say, okay, let's change it. They'll change the height or change the income or the race, whatever. And it'll be like 15%. And it's like showing them that you don't, and they say the same thing you say is like, you don't have to do this. It's your choice. But if your goal is to get married or do this or do that, you need to kind of have a plan and know what your options are because the biggest rebuttal I hear to things like that is there's 7 billion people in the world. And I guess that's the illusion of, we know that 
we do have 7 billion people in the world and with Tinder and social media, you can talk to someone in Africa, Japan, Russia, wherever, but what are the odds of that person being your actual dating market and you factor in age, gender, whatever your, your specific gender choice, you've got to weed a lot of people out or even married people themselves. You can't date married people or you're not supposed to, but <laughs> so it's like mitigating the risk, I guess is a point is like people need to look at it like, or should look at it like that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, you know, and I think it's like um, people use probabilities really well in other parts of their life. You know, if someone was drafting a fantasy <laughs> football player, <laughs> also exactly. they're a real scholar about probabilities, you know, okay, what's the probability this person scores X number of touchdowns or, you know, the, the chances that this you're going to average this number of points. Um, they'll be like, Hey, I'll, I'll take a 5% probability bump. Right. Uh, for something this like fun, like fantasy football. Uh, but all of a sudden, like the dating life, it's like, no, I want everything <laughs> and not think about probabilities. It's like, oh, man, let's just, uh, you know, let's let's apply some of that good intelligence you have to this thing that's actually more important, I would think, you know, in, in somebody's life. So that is the basis that you have to start with hairless murder apes. And then when you move away from that basis, again, you guys watch Joe Rogan experience. What is it? It's a monkey. That's the reason why he does that because Joe Rogan understands natural selection. And so when you look at humans from that standpoint and then realize that we, we grew through cultural evolution to do things like, hey, I'm going to pay with my credit card. Think about this. I'm going to give you a credit card and you're going to just trust that there's money on the credit card. You can't see the money. In the, and I'm going to trust that there's money on the credit card. And then I'm going to trust you to give me my $15 Frappuccino that it's not poisoned because you're not trying to take my land or my wife. I'm going to trust in this system where I give you this money, this imaginary money, and then you give me a Frappuccino. And we've built this system of trust with you know this man uh, creating a, a, a compact with other man, which creates civilization. Civilization is the later adaptation, but there are earlier adaptations from evolutionary psychology, which causes people to, like for instance, jealousy being an evolutionary adaptation, mate guarding being an evolutionary adaptation, men being more uh, interested in casual sex than women are as an evolutionary adaptation, women being more interested in men who are taller than them as an adaptation, women being more interested in men who are older than than them is an evolutionary adaptation and men being interested in women who have signs of facial symmetry a 0.72 hip to waist ratio and women being interested in men who have a 0.165 to 1 shoulder to width ratio these are things that we can measure through evolutionary psychology studies and then we can determine we can look back and say okay what was it that our ancestors we're looking for to want individuals to look this way or to have these attributes. And then we can look in the future and say, we can actually predict why is this person going to do what they're going to do? Like, for instance, if, if you believe that humans are, again, are all hairless murder apes and we're all only interested in higher sexual selection and higher status, then what Vladimir Putin did invading Ukraine actually makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? It actually makes a little bit more sense. You know, when you think about Steve Jobs creating Apple, and then he just starts dating a bunch of supermodels. Like it kind of makes a little bit more sense, yeah. right? You know, like you start looking at these things from an evolutionary psychology standpoint that we are simply like meat robots that are that are programmed. But again, that's not very noble. And by the way, I do believe in God. I just think that's a that's a different plane. That's mm -hmm. a, and that's a different discussion. But in this in this category, when we have this discussion, then things make more sense. And no disrespect to to Sigmund Freud, but Sigmund Freud made his assertions. By while about you know uh, young boys wanting to have sex with their mothers etc. He made those assertions while high on cocaine, having an interview with one twelve year old boy. Like it, it just like that wasn't scientific. 
psychology was a soft science back then. Today, yep. it's a hard science. We can actually do test. We can look at testable models and we can actually understand why do humans behave the way they do, or at least we can determine that humans behave in a certain way over others. And we can suss out what is cultural or, or I mean, what is environmental and what is genetic. We can do that now. Like for instance, uh, the fact that men like signs of youth and women, we know now indefatigably it's genetics. We know that now. It's not a function like you and I don't aren't attracted to attractive women because of the fact that we saw them on magazines and we don't like sugar, salt and watch the McDonald's commercial. It's the other way around. We were born liking sugar, salt and fat because that's what our ancestors liked. And we were born finding women who are look physically attractive. You know, think of what whatever Mar Margot Robbie, Selma Hayek when she was super young, whatever Mariah Carey when she was wrong, Jessica Biel, named Vivica Fox, whoever yeah, can go on. Um, we, we, you keep going. On. But but the thing is, you and I are I, I'll bet you, Nicholas, if you and I went down a list and we had 100 other men with us about which women we, we found attractive, we would probably agree to like a 96 percentile we would agree we might be a few men in there it's like that don't like asian women or african-american women or whatever or white women or whatever but for the most part we're gonna find women even if you don't like white women margot robbie's still fucking attractive you know what i'm saying so as men we find we tend to find the same things attractive why is that well there must be an evolutionary reason for that for us to all find the same things attractive and then the people who don't believe that are people like you know oh uh, what's it called uh Victoria's Secret, where they put different body types. I'm all for inclusivity. Body That's totally positivity fine. movement. Body positivity. But the thing is, with the body positivity movement, while you can make it easier for them to feel good about themselves, you can't make me attracted to them. And that's that's where you lose me. You're you can't make me attracted to them. That's where the issue is. But isn't and that kind of setting them up for failure, kind of? Because you look at say when women go to clubs. Who's getting let, let left outside? It's usually the, yeah. the bigger girl. So you're saying, hey, yeah. I'm just as beautiful as this size three woman, but then I'm not getting into the club. So now you set them up for that. Yeah, I've that seen failure. I've seen that. And then and then they, what they do is they project their hatred onto the bouncer and then they start, they they it becomes a political thing. And the thing is like, no, it's not the case. Like we run a business and men tend to buy more bottles because they want to look higher status when they're around more attractive women and you don't meet that criteria. I'm like, no, but I looked on Victoria's Secret and they said that I'm attractive. And I'm like, Victoria's Secret can say whatever they want, but like the bouncer is not going to like quote evolutionary psychology, but the bouncer <laughs> is a product of evolutionary psychology. He's a gatekeeper for like lower status to higher status. You're trying to get into the club and then you get into the club. And that, by the way, it's not just for physically attractive women. You can make the same statement for like lower status men. Men, we're not judged so much on our physical attractiveness, but we still are judged um, on, on other things most likely competency. I had a girl ask me last night, it was like, where does money fit in the ancestral period? And like money today is an analogy for competency. Competency is what women found attractive. The best fisherman, the best hunter, the best builder, the best provider, the best protector. That was a sign of competency. Money is an analogy, a 2023 analogy in uh, modern times for uh for for competency which women find attractive and so that's the reason why extreme levels of competency can overcome men with, who are physically unattractive or short or overweight or even have a terrible personality we've all seen the super rich guy with the hot girl that's an example of where competency outweighs that so there must be an answer somewhere in our evolutionary past to explain why that is and that's what it is like when a woman probably 50,000 years ago she had a choice between which mate to choose she's going to choose a competent mate for some of us, we'll look and see a woman and she'll pick the guy with the broadest shoulders and the biggest arms. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. Her and her offspring, she's going to have strong children. Her and her offspring are going to be protected by a big, strong father. 
who can who has a big rock to swing or a big club or a big spear and he's willing to do violence on behalf of me the woman me and my offspring if he's willing to do that violence i know i have a higher percentage chance of survival and that's why i'll choose them and then you'll see women they'll end up cheating on their husbands with a six foot three bartender with tattoo sleeves that's the reason why that'll happen but additionally you see women find leonardo dicaprio attractive and he's like five seven five eight something like that why do they find him attractive? Because he's a fantastic actor and he's extremely wealthy. So he shows competency through his acting. He also shows incredibly high social alignments and social acuity. And number three, he's richer than fucking fuck. And those things, when you put them all together, that's the reason why you can explain why a short guy is attractive to some women and a tall, good looking guy is attractive to others. You made a good point using the analogy as money is the sign for competence. And I actually have a, an associate of mine He's actually an ex-seal and we're talking about something similar. And I said a term, I called it financial masculinity. Like, like you said, someone who's five, five chubby 2000 years ago would not have been the ideal candidate. He would have been either killed or his wife would have been taken from whatever it may be. But now you got guys like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, who For sure. aren't the, the product of a, a masculine man, maybe on paper, but they're billionaires. They could buy the world, you know, and but, that's but making up. For it. Look, consider, but consider this, right? Bill Gates to women would be rich. Jeff Bezos would be rich. They would not conceptualize $300 billion versus $400 billion. Those concepts don't mean anything. When I talk to women who are dating men who are rich, they just know that they're rich. They say words like billionaires. Most of the guys that they that are dating that they think are billionaires are not billionaires. They, they happen to work for a company that's worth a billion dollars, but they're not billionaires. What's happened is... <laughs> That 5'5 five, five guy that you talked about during the ancestral period, there's, it's really interesting. There's this Polynesian culture where they're whalers, right? Nicholas, let me ask you something. You stand on the front of a boat and you throw spears into whales. Is it actually better to be taller or shorter in order to do that? Well, if it's close range, I think someone with shorter arms would be more precise. But if it's further, it's, it's you not, want it's a not even arm? it's not even shorter arms. It's like better balance. You can stand oh. on the front of the boat without right. Do you understand what I'm saying? And be, okay, being yeah. able to have better balance on the front of the boat mm -hmm. so that you can throw better stability. Yeah. In in that society, shorter men who are are it's not that they're valued more because they're short. They're valued more because they're competent. Some men are actually better hunters by being smaller individuals. In the United States, we have that. You know what it's called? Fighter pilots and rat race car drivers, those tend to be smaller individuals. Also, horse jockeys would mm -hmm. be another example where you can be small and competent. How about middleweight or lightweight boxers? You see that as well, too. These guys are incredibly attractive to women, but they're at, they fight at like a 145-pound weight class. So there are ways of being competent and being smaller. So the thing that's most important is competency. But if you don't have competency, the way you make up for that is you look like David Beckham. David Beckham doesn't need to be competent. He, although he is a fantastic soccer player, right? Or he was. Um, he th So that, that's the thing. As far as male to female attraction is concerned, uh, it's the level of competency. So the way Dr. Buss would, these are my words, by the way, because I have a coaching program. Dr. Buss would say it in a way like this. He'd say the ability to uh, uh, to acquire resources. So we, so I'm saying competency, but like, that's what, that's what competency is when you think yeah. about it, right? It's the ability to re acquire resources. So for instance, what would women rather date? A guy who actually owns a company that um that actually does waste management he owns a bunch of garbage trucks that he he rents out to the city okay or a second guy who's an associate at a law firm the associate at the law firm actually law works firm. more hours and makes less money but women are going to see the status mm -hmm. in his job and be like oh he's going to be richer yep is he gonna be a famous lawyer now a lot of times this is wrong obviously a lot of self like a lot of guys who have those really boring businesses like you know uh, laundry mats or they own shitty apartment complexes 
or the guys that own like, you know, trucking companies or rental agencies, those guys are actually become very wealthy. Uh, but the thing is, they don't really have sexy jobs. But women are always trying to suss out which one of these individuals often you'll see people who are residents, uh, like their their uh, that residencies for for medical school, or, or they're working as residencies as doctors, women will often try to date those guys. This is something very often happened when I was on a US military base, women would go after the first and second lieutenants, because they knew that these guys were eventually going to get you know, become majors and captains, and they're going to have like a steady income for a long period of time that puts them in the upper middle class as far as income is concerned. You can make a lot of money on flight pay if you're a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force. So so those those type of things is what women will for the ability to acquire resources. Uh, would be would be something that they, that they would look for. And so that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, women look for those cues and men look for different cues. We don't generally when it comes to dating, when we see a woman who has money, that's her money. My money is yeah. our money. Her, her money is her money. That's yeah, generally that what we do. She might buy you dinner every once in a while or buy you a gift, but generally it's not women. Uh, like in throughout my lifetime, mo myself nor any man that I know is not really taken care of mostly by women. A lot of people have that wall. And I guess part of a breakup is being able to rebuild and move forward. So what would you say to someone who like struggles with that? You know, I really, it's so hard because you're right. It's, you bring it so much from the last relationship and there's just so much, so much projection. I mean, even a mental health um, expert is going to have a typical time not bringing in something from the last relationship, right? Um, so really working on reactivity, you know, um, being understanding, uh, not seeing everything as a red flag, you know, um, not blowing things out of proportion, not necessarily breaking up without actually talking about it first. Um, reactivity is a big thing. So really that's about motion regulation. So you feel really dysregulated, right? You're, you're fearful, you're angry. You're, you're like, why is this person showing these maybe potential red flags? And you want to really work on being able to be in the moment and calm when you do see that and observe what's going on, then take the next step. And when you're ready and really prepared, then communicate what the concern was. Um, and try as much as you can to get them so they're not on the defense, because otherwise you're not going to see the really good version of them. Um, but I think you do really have to give a lot of grace in new relationships, um, which is hard to do. Do you think like maybe as we get older, too, it makes it a little bit harder because now you have more things to like, kind of refer to because you have like a bigger catalog of what ifs, you know, because it's, it's inevitable as you learn, you grow, you get wiser. It makes sense to learn from your past mistakes, but could that be detrimental to to a degree? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously some things that you know, you if you see a red flag that's major, or you're you know being you know verbally abused or something like that, physically abused, obviously, I mean that's different. But barring that kind of thing, um, you do want to really be you know hesitant to blow up or to be overly reactive. And I do see you know when people have a lot of relationships, um, you know historically that they can be too quick to cut them off too quick to cut off relationships um and it takes so much watering and it takes so much work on not being so reactive to actually keep something and maintain something um that it really it can pay off a lot to just at least get an outsider perspective before you blow up um to actually observe what's happening think about the projections you might be putting onto them think about maybe you, you could be being hard on them before you actually you know, talk to them so they don't feel confronted um, in a negative space. So yeah, I think there's a lot of payoff to actually, you know, being less reactive, more in the moment, observing, and then taking some time 
before you actually ask them what's going on and telling, telling them the concern because you don't want them to feel like they, they can't be their true selves. You really want to give them space, especially in a new relationship, to be them, their true authentic selves, uh, which can be hard, but it's, gonna, it's going to be bumpy. It's going to be rocky no matter what. They don't have to have any pathology at all. They don't have to have any mood disorders or anything, and they, it can still be really rocky. You, you said a lot of good things, especially with the communication is key. And it seems so cliche that, you know, people say, oh, obviously you communicate, but it's like most people don't do it or they don't do it well. And you mentioned mm -hmm. about not not being quick to cut them off or let them go and talk about something like, say, ghosting. I see a lot of like memes online or TikToks or videos where they say, I'm quick to let someone go the minute I see a flag or whatever it is. And it's like, that's being promoted in a ha-ha joking way, but it's kind of like becoming the norm now because it's like, I get it. If it's something obscene, yes, you have the right to be like, hey, I'm not with that. But going to the point of like, did you talk about it? Did you let him or her know that, you know what, that didn't make me feel comfortable because people talk about boundaries all the time, right? But like, I think part of a boundary is like, let's say an analogy of you have a dog. It's not like you just put him out in the, the backyard or without a fence and just hope he stays in the yeah. place in your mind where he shouldn't go to the next yard, right? You right. won't do that. <laughs> But no. when it comes to relationships, it's kind of like we expect the other person to be like, oh, these are my boundaries. And once you cross them, I'm done versus like, hey, let me talk to you about what just happened. Or like you said, let them have that grace because maybe it was innocent. It could have yeah. been innocent, you know. And if it wasn't, then, yeah, that's bad. But if it was like, oh, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I didn't think about that. And then maybe you can build from there. But it's like, like, why do people tend not say why? Because there's no one size fits all. But like people tend to just. Like, be so quick going back to the emotional regulation, that impulse control, like, just go. I don't like it. Nope. I'm not even going to think about it. And then just You're let out. it go. You're out. And that a lot of people know there are people that want to reject others before they're rejected because there's been so much pain behind being rejected, behind being left, behind being broken up with. But back to ghosting, um, that can be super painful. I've had a lot of clients be, that have been ghosted and then they're just confused for, they can be confused for six months to a year. I mean, it's, it can be really hurtful, even in a short-term relationship because you're, yeah, they want that information. What did they do wrong? And then they, it starts affecting their self. It can affect their self-concept. Now, of course it's on them to do the self-work. So it doesn't, but to know you could have that type of impact on someone, even if you were in their lives for a brief time to be really sensitive to that, that the ghosting is one of the worst things you can do for someone's mental health, unless they did something egregious or it really was a brief relationship. And of course, it's still up to you. You know, if you, if you feel like ghosting is the best way for you or it's the only way that you, that's the only capacity you have, sure. But understand that it, it can affect people greatly. So going on that note, I think this may, and this is my opinion, but you might know better than me, the um, social date, I'm about to say social media, but social dating apps. I, I hmm. think personally that might've helped with the ghosting thing a little easier because it's like, you have these faces on a page that you may or may not have even had a verbal conversation, maybe text at most or at minimum. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why would I care if I ghost them? We, we text back and forth for seven days. We seem to have some commonalities. Then the next person comes along. Ooh, I like them better. Mm -hmm. Delete. And it's like, they won't get hurt, but there's like, there is a person on the other side of that picture, you know? Yeah. There's a person on the other side of the picture. I will say this though. I mean, obviously they should, it would be nice if they default to, oh, I wasn't a fit, you know, and try not to take it personally that I wasn't a fit, you know. But when you get into like a two month, three month situation, relationship, um, that's a little bit different. But yeah, a week of texting, that can be really hard to get rejected when you start habituating to getting their messages. 
but that's of course then you'd want to interpret that as it wasn't a fit and you know obviously not to chase and not to take it too personally most definitely so uh, i saw one of your tiktoks um you have a lot of them and a lot of them did a lot of good numbers but this one i wanted to ask about particularly it was about being high value and i hear that term a lot more i'm not sure if you're familiar like there's a lot of podcasts now youtubers talking about dating advice but more mm -hmm. so from like a I don't know how to describe it. It has a term. You might have heard this term, red pill. Have you heard yeah. that term before? Mm -hmm. So these people, I typically see this term there, high value, high value. So <laughs> what does that, what, what do you define that as? Because they have their definition, I know, and it's usually very limited to a few things, but what do you uh, claim that as or see that as? I'm going to be have probably a watered down version compared to them um, just because I am, I was, I've been exposed to some of that. Um, some of their content. Um, but I would say for me, let's just say, so I just had to put it in my context. Um, there's some things that I like about that, you know, so like the red pill, let's say. So red pill is being aware, right? Am I correct? They're more aware of certain. Yeah, they, certain they took it from the matrix analogy yes. with Morpheus, red pill, blue pill, and red pill. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So here we go. Okay. So red, red pill for me, from my interpretation would be, okay perceived like higher value and that that would be and, and others would be perceiving that that would be the goal um to not put people on a pedestal okay these are all kind of like the decent traits that i feel like this red pill holds to not necessarily put people on a pedestal and idealize them to not put people above you right so the red pill would be not putting a woman or a man above you a lot of times we're talking about women when it's dating um, but it's good for the same thing. Um, don't idealize someone to the point where you are chasing them like they're a celebrity. You are acting insecure around them. The red pill also would be a very confident individual. Um, they wouldn't necessarily be chasing. Um, maybe initially a little bit more pursuit, um, but not, but not throughout the whole thing. Um, they, they typically get the person more attached. So some of this can be manipulative. <laughs> But they typically get the person attached initially and then allow that other person to, you know, pursue them more. Um, but yeah, red pill would be more aware of really how to make a per another person attracted to you, to respect you, to be interested in you, to feel like you're high value. Um, and again, not to, put, not to do too many things for other people to the point that they take you for granted. I think that sounds pretty much what I've heard. And I agree with a lot of that because I think when it comes to dating, regardless if it's male to female or whatever it may be, it, it seems that that happens a lot where, especially I think it happens a lot with the younger guys nowadays. Cause I know we come from a generation where it's like you had to call someone's house. And I remember having to call, Hey, is, is Cindy home? And yeah. their dad's like, who is this? And I'm like, Oh, and hang up and like, what, who is that? And it's like, yeah. it's nervous. Now it's like, you don't have to do that anymore. You just can kind of like, say, hey, beautiful, to 20 people at once. And just yeah. whatever hits, hits. So a lot of the, I don't want to play that kids these days card, but it's like, it kind of shapes this, like say, putting people on pedestal, where it's like, let me just throw out these effortless comments and compliments, and mm -hmm. hopefully it boosts them up to the point where they like me back versus like, no, let me get to know them, show them that, hey, I'm working on this, or I'm doing that, or I got a job here, or whatever it may be. Like you said, building yeah. that, that value. Like just with like a business, right? You don't just go to a client and just, sugarcoat them and make them feel good and butter them up yeah you should be nice you should have rapport but it's not like because they'll peep that they'll see like hey 
I get you're trying to sell me. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not trying to say dating is business, but in the sense it kind of is, it's a contract between two people, right? Like we agree that we're going to enter in this with the best hopes that this will work out for the future. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we should, I think we should go into it kind of with that like mindset. Yeah. And I think there's a kind of a more cynical point of view, obviously that we, I'm sure we know of that with the red pill is that there are users out there. Well, that's true. There are users out there. Um, there are people that want you for your money or people that want you for things that are superficial or um, there are people that just want you temporarily for just fun, depending, you know, men and women. Right. And that they don't want to be taken advantage of. So that red pill understanding that there could be users out there, which can get extreme. Like if you're thinking about this too much now, it's harder to have a lens for authentic and genuine people, because now you're really caught up that everyone's out to use you. Now there are some things that I think are protective, that which is why this red pill concept is kind of a, kind of appealing to me. Which is yeah, you don't need to put someone on a pedestal. You don't have to overshare or overgive. Um, you don't need to chase them hard. You you know you can explore your options. Obviously, you know until you find someone genuine or worth your time. You should be confident. Confidence is the number one most attractive trait in men and women. So there's a lot about that concept that I, I, I get, um, you know, it just depends on, you know, the influencer and what their take is on it. Yeah. There's a few names uh, that definitely have a higher like following, like in the millions where they consider like the leaders, like, I think a lot of them, what they'll say is it was the red pill as they know it now. Cause I know that, like I said, that term isn't just for dating, but it's like what it is now came from, I guess they, they say it's a defense to, from at least from the male perspective that like, for example, uh, a coffee date, some women I've heard say, oh, that's not enough. So they were saying, okay, this is a defense for that. But obviously that's not every woman or every person, mm -hmm. but it came mm -hmm. to the point where everyone got lumped into that. And it's like, okay, let me defend myself from these type of women or these type of people. And mm -hmm. that's why I think a lot of people take it as that versus what you said, which you broke it down more, you know, generally versus mm -hmm. like, no, I'm going to be cynical or pessimistic that if this person's interacting with me and they're trying to use me or take advantage, I got to put up these these defenses to beat them to the punch, you know? And I think that's what the mainstream kind of looks at it now. And I think it's become more of that versus like, no, let's just have a system where we can both adequately date each other and we're not using each other, wasting each other's time. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think there's a good, I mean, you, you could be overly defensive or you could use it as a balance. Like I enjoy, I enjoy and just that time, that type of, um, you know, content because it's good to be reminded that you shouldn't put people on pedestals. That's it. That concludes your, your career. You know, you don't really want to talk to people like they're way above you. It's going to make them feel like you're not maybe worth being a partner for them or, you know, working with them on the same level. You don't want to do that in dating. You don't want to necessarily do that in friendships where you're chasing too much. Um, so it's nice to be reminded to be confident and, you know, not put yourself below other people. And, and what does it take to put yourself on people's levels? Obviously, very positive thinking, um, obviously taking care of yourself, uh, working hard on your dreams and believing in yourself, doing affirmations. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can put yourself in that mindset where, you know, you can be confident and you don't have to put yourself underneath people or be used by people. Um, that's okay. Maybe people have had a lot of pain from being used and they need to have some way to protect themselves. You know, there's maybe some residual anger over that. You don't want to just, you know, discard, um, every woman or every man because of those experiences. Um, so just, you know, make, make sure if you're using those type of concepts that you're, you know, try not to go extreme. Always what they say in psychology is that 
um, the gray area is usually the most healthy. 